Welcome to Gin and Topic. I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And we don't know anything about anything, really, but we do like to drink gin. That's true. So we decided each week we would drink gin with an expert on something, and hopefully they can teach us something. Awesome. Lovely. Star Trek. Agreed. So today we are talking to Hamish Symington. Ah, oh, Hamish. So he is in the Department of Plant, Plant Sciences and he is doing a studying for a PhD on pollination and plant pollinator interactions. <laughs> so basically he looks at bees and he watches bees can we tell the story of me getting the gin and why I couldn't get it from him? Yeah, okay. But we need to go back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, go so back a bit. Go back he a bit. does bees. He, he so doesn't do topic, bees. Well, he doesn't He do studies bees. bees. He studies bees. He watches bees. And we know that because he was watching a bee from 10 o'clock in the morning till four o'clock in the afternoon the other day. And we're going to have to ask him how on earth he just like stares at bee. a bee. Hmm. Um, our question today is just <laughs> what was the big deal with what's bees? The big deal with bees? What's the big what deal is with bees? the big deal with bees? Yeah, which I like. It's a good so, question. So obviously we talk to all of our guests about what gin we're going to drink whilst we're talking to them, at which point Hamish immediately identified the gin because it's the most obvious gin that we could drink. It's the gin that contains some of the honey from the bees in his beehive. Mm-hmm. Now I happen to mention to Sarah just before this chat with Hamish, that I was going into Cambridge the next day Mm -hmm. where Hamish studies and works and lives and does everything. And (laughs) chaos ensued, really. (laughs) So, unfortunately, we couldn't buy a bottle of the gin Mm -hmm. because it's from 2018. It's Cambridge Distillery Summer Gin 2018. So we couldn't buy any, but Hamish had some. Mm-hmm. So he kindly offered to decant some. Into lovely little bottles. Into lovely little bottles, along with mm-hmm. the distillate of the honey. And we're going to talk to him more about yeah. that. So he then said, I'll decant the gin, mm-hmm. the distillate of the honey. Oh, and I've got some of my own rhubarb <laughs> gin yeah. too. I'll give you some of that. So we're going to be very drunk by the end of this, I'm especially soon as we're already drinking yeah. a gin. It's been start. a long day. It has been a long day. <laughs> so then Hamish said, well, it's okay. If Anya's going in, she mm-hmm. can collect it. I said, well, perfect. He said, but the only problem is I'm watching a bee. <laughs> so at which point I'm in my room getting ready for bed, thinking about the fact I'm going into Cambridge tomorrow. I get this text from Sarah going, so... Hamish is going to text you. He's going to hide some gin somewhere in Cambridge for you to find. Of course, being in my family, this is a pretty normal text. But still, I was like, okay. And don't forget, he was going to send you a video, (laughs) photographic evidence of hiding the little bag of gin. Which he did the next day I woke up. And within about an hour of waking up, I had a message from him, a video showing me the street and giving me the instructions of where to go. I was going into Cambridge with a work friend. And so I then had to say, as we got into Cambridge, um, I need you to come with me to pick up some gin 
from behind a box of salt gritty <laughs> stuff at the Cambridge Plant Sciences. She went, great, I'll video it for you as well in case you want to put it on social media. <laughs> but we haven't touched. We haven't. Drop. No. And it was a very brilliant video from Hamish. And I can't <laughs> wait to try it because it's been sat on the sideboard for such a little time that mm-hmm. I'm just like, give me gin, give me gin. We can't keep gin in this house is the problem. No, we can't. But we, we have been very, very well behaved. Mm-hmm. So as soon as Hamish arrives, we will open that gin. Yeah. Um, and he can talk to us about the honey from the bees goes into the gin and all the rest of that jazz. Now. What's the big deal about bees? Bees, what do we know? Well, 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 okay. Here we go. That was a well. Shall I get nerdy? (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 So I remember very clearly an episode of Doctor Who, David Tennant as the doctor, Donna Noble as the sidekick. And they talk about bees in that because he's like, Donna, have you noticed anything suspicious on earth? And she says, the bees disappearing. He's like, the bees disappearing. The bees disappearing. And it's yeah. a big thing because they're originally like aliens who came to Earth or whatever in that story. But I remember at the time being like, bees are really important because if they disappeared from Earth, we would all die. And thinking I was really clever because I knew that. So that is what I know about And that's bees. basically what we're being told yeah. <laughs> um, in all sorts of media is, you know, we rely on bees and, okay. you know, we rely on bees for everything. Um, and we know that we couldn't have any of our foods and things without bees, but mm-hmm. they're not actually the only pollinator. No. So, but I think they're the poster boy of pollinators. They well, they're cute. They're fluffy and cute. They are. And I know that if you meet a bee who looks like he's if you dying, meet a bee, if you meet Hello, a bee, Mr. Bee. Mr. bee who looks like he's dying, you need to give him sugary water and it'll That's help. That's right. Him. That's right. Yeah. See, I know about bees. Yeah. yeah. We also know that our dog likes spike bees. Yeah, that doesn't always go well. No, no. So what we know, big deal about bees is they're just really important for pollination. Yeah. What I want to know is if we know that, what's the point in studying bees? Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. And how can you watch bees from 10 o'clock in the morning? And I want to know how they actually became endangered because aren't they yeah. endangered? Well, absolutely. But the, and, and that's another thing I know. There are loads of different types of bees. There are loads of different types of there bees. There isn't just the cuddly bumblebee. bumblebee. Mm-hmm. There's, we get loads of solitary, different coloured bottom bees. Do we? We do. We get oh. yellow bottom bees. We get sort of orangey bottom bees. And then you've got the worker the bees. Yes, worker bees. Yeah. Um, and all sorts of different kinds of bees. Mm. And I heard something on the radio the other day. It was saying that these bees had come up with an ingenious way of stopping hornets from getting into their nest mm. to attack them all. Because hornets eat them shit. all. Because they are. Uh-huh. And what they do is they go out and they collect animal poo. Fez. Dot the poo around the front of the so bee that the hornets don't want to go in there. So the hornets don't go in. Fez. That is quite clever. That is quite clever, isn't Yeah. So here we are, and that means we get to open your gin. Yes. Okay, so here we go. We finally... It's been taunting me. ...get to try the gin that's been sat. Actually, before before you try it, before you try it, within that little parcel, there was another little bottle. Yes, we we had three bottles. Yeah. One was the gin... 
The second is your honey. Yes, you should try that one first, because if we if you try that one afterwards, then the flavour of the juniper will overwhelm what you get there. So if you've got a couple of teaspoons or something like that to have... Pour uh, it directly into my mouth. <laughs> so the way that the Cambridge distillery make their gin is different from the way that many others make it. Um, what most people do is put alcohol in a still along with juniper and all of the other flavourings that they want. And then they heat it up and distill that. And the boiling point of alcohol, I should probably know this, is 70-something, I think. So they heat it up to about that. And then the alcohol distills over with all of the flavourings. But that means that anything that's really delicate doesn't work. Because let's say you put a cucumber in there, you just get a mushed cucumber and some alcohol. What Cambridge Distillery do is mix the alcohol with one flavour. So cucumber or juniper or sesame or something like that, one at a time. And instead of heating it up, they take the pressure down, um, which means that the alcohol will boil at a much lower temperature. So then it won't ruin. So then it won't ruin it. So they distill cucumber at 25 centigrade, but very low pressure. So when I heard that they did this, I thought, do you want to try some honey? Would, Would it be of interest? And they said yes, so they bought some honey off me and mixed a jar of my honey with some alcohol and then distilled it. This, what you're going to taste here is alcohol and water and essence of honey. They haven't put honey in, it is not sweet, there's no sugar in it. As we delicately sip from the lids of the bottles. But it tastes sweet. Yeah, yeah. But there's no... I mean, there's, there's a no definite sugar. alcoholic edge to it. You're not yeah. drinking and thinking it's honey. <laughs> it's about 50 or 60%. Um, oh, that's good. But it is more like a a liqueur. Yeah. In that it's got that sweetness. It's not over, over sweet. But, no. it's, it's, but it doesn't do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of something that you'd have in the middle of a chocolate. Yeah, it's yeah. got that nice coating to your tongue. Not to be the uni student, but I would shot that very happily. <laughs> well, here you go. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's not sweet. It just tastes sweet and your brain thinks that it's sweet because it knows that honey is sweet, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No That's fabulous. So some of that went into the gin. Um, I've, I was looking up the ingredients. They also did. Uh, they also put in lemon balm and magnolia blossom. Ooh. Um, so lovely well look cheers and now i can understand why it's a summer gin it has got a real summery lightness to it and and the thing i'm gutted about is that of course we can't get this i don't know if they still have any available but i think you might be able to get some still but i think it is about 95 pounds a bottle one for the treat (laughs) a little treat so anyway, we are talking the topic of bees, which of course nice. links in with the honey and everything. Um, and we were talking yesterday um, about what we know about bees mm-hmm. um, and the question being, um, you know, what's so special about them? What's the big deal about bees? What's the big deal about bees? And the sum of our knowledge was that you couldn't have the bee movie without bees. No, there was a lot more intelligent pop culture before that. I started with the Doctor Who reference and then I moved on to the bee movie and I summarised that bees were very important because they keep us alive. That's right. And that they are possibly aliens. Yes, absolutely. So we had a really 
intelligent, intelligent conversation, conversation. <laughs> about what we know about bees. Um, and we know, you know, all of the messaging about why they're important. But we also know that you can sit for hours watching bees mm-hmm. and want to know what the big deal is about how you can sit there from 10 in the morning till half past four at night watching, watching a bee, bee and why you do that. And therefore, for you, what's so important about bees? Okay. Well, there's loads to cover there. Let's start with the really important thing, which is the bee movie. Yes, excellent. Um, This is where I wanted to begin. (laughs) So I watched that with my daughter, but I I, I nearly had to go to walk away from it and just leave her there because of the number of things that were just wrong. I mean, she literally leaves her boyfriend to try and fuck a bee. And that's the beginning moment (laughs) where I think... I mean, there is that. Yeah. I, I was I was more thinking of many of the other biological um, things before then. I, by by that point, I'd just given up. Um, <laughs> so, honey is not made by male bees, for starters. Male bees don't do anything. Male bees cannot sting. Sorry, they... sorry, hold on, hold on. Male bees can't sting? No. Oh. No, they, they, they have a penis instead. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Whereas female bees have an ovipositor, which is what they use to. Um, well, so this is where it gets interesting. There are worker bees. Uh, we're talking about honeybees here. There are worker bees and the queen bee. Um, so in a hive, you've got one queen bee, and at the height of summer, you've probably got about fifty thousand worker bees and a few hundred male, a few hundred drones. Um, worker bees and queen bees can sting, but only the queen bee lays eggs. Um, she is just an egg-laying machine. Um, Good on her. <laughs> that's basically all she does. All of this stuff about the queen being the ruler of the hive and controlling everything is complete rubbish. Um, it's, it's, but she is she but, is sort of pandered to. Her every whim, yes. all she has to do is lay eggs. Yes, and that's it. She doesn't control anything. She doesn't make decisions. That is done collectively by the hive based on hormone levels and gene it's levels a democracy. and things like that. That's uh, that's an interesting way of putting. I don't know if it is, is it a democracy because they don't vote on it. It just sort of happens when things reach critical masses. So be, so worker bees can make a new queen. It's not that they they take a worker and they elevate her in status. That that would be quite cool, but they don't do that. They make a new queen from an egg, and a, an egg which has been fertilized, which which the queen lays, can uh, develops into a worker bee. Usually, that's what it does, except if it's fed royal jelly. And royal jelly is this substance which they secrete. And if an egg, sorry, if a larva feeds on royal jelly, it will develop into a queen. And if a larva doesn't feed on royal jelly, it will develop into a worker. And there's two different types of cell which, they, um, which they're made in. There's a worker cell and a queen cell. And it's been shown that you can take an egg from a worker cell and put it in a queen cell and feed it with royal jelly and it will, go into a, it will develop into a queen. And if you take an egg from a queen cell and put it into a worker cell and don't feed it royal jelly, it will develop into a worker. So queen worker, they're genetically identical. It's just based on what the larva has been fed that turns on different bits of their DNA. That is quite cool, isn't it? So they start from exactly the same thing. So so absolutely, just depending on what you get fed... That's really cool. That's really cool. And so then the deciding to make a queen is because they then need... Yes. So the the way it works is that the presence of a queen suppresses the urge of workers to make more queens. Okay. And the way that happens is that 
the queen gives off various different pheromones and substances. And in the hive, there's a little retinue of bees, about 12 to 15 bees, which always surround her. It's not always the same 12 or 15. So whenever she moves, um, whenever the queen moves away, some of them will go off and do other house duties and some other ones will attend to the queen and they lick and they lick her. So they lick off this pheromone. Um, and then honeybees in the hive, when, they, when two honeybees meet, they will swap food. So one will regurgitate a little bit of food from their honey stomach and the other one will drink it. And that is how they spread this pheromone around the hive. Mm. So there are a few situations where that spreading doesn't work properly. And the first is when there's no queen. So let's say me as a beekeeper comes along, comes along and accidentally kills the queen. The queen is dead. There's no queen to lick. There's no pheromone level. So the, the level of this queen substance drops. Which sets off the alarm system. Which sets off the alarm system. And they quickly feed eggs, yeah. royal jelly. Yeah. And then... Look at you go. I know, that's quite cool. Exactly. I'm yeah. visualising the claxons are going off. It would make a much better ah, bee ah, movie ah, if that had been the story. It would. Yeah, it would. So that's the first one. The second one is when the queen gets old. So a couple of years old, her, the levels of the pheromone that she produces drop off. And that's the trigger for making a new queen to replace the old one. That's called supersedure. And the other one, let's say the hive gets a bit congested and the bees can't move around so much. That means that while there's still a, a good level of pheromone in the place where the queen is and near her, the bees on the outer edges don't get it because they can't move into the centre of that ball. And that's another reason. And that's where swarming comes in. So what happens there is the uh, the bees will prepare a new queen. So um, they will prepare this new queen cell. And as soon as she's, as soon as they've capped this cell, so after nine days with, within the colony, they know that in a short while, a new queen will emerge. So then what happens is the, the existing queen leaves with all of the bees that can fly. Ah. So this is something else about honeybees. They tend not to fly for the first three weeks of their adult life. A honeybee lives for about six weeks but for the first three weeks, they don't fly. They stay in the hive. They do guard duty. They do cleaning. They process nectar into honey. And then for the last three weeks of their life, that's when they go out. And freedom! Yeah. Freedom to work as hard as they possibly can until they die in a field. Is, <laughs> or in our dog's what, mouth. Or in your dog's mouth. Most of them just die in a field. Um, so, yeah. So a swarm is the old queen with all of the bees that can fly. And they are flying off to try to look for a new home. And it, again, it's, it, this is nothing to do with the queen leading them. That's, that, it doesn't happen. They all fly out and at some point the queen flies out too. And so you'll have in a swarm probably about 20 or 30,000 bees. Um, it's quite a lot. And some, somewhere in there is the queen. And what, they're going to, what they need to do is then find a new place to live. So they, they come out of the hive, they settle somewhere. And it could be just next to the hive. Usually it's a couple of hundred metres away on a hedge, on a tree. And they'll stay there for anything between a couple of hours and a few days. And what's happening then is scout bees are going out from this swarm, looking for somewhere to live and coming back and reporting back. And the way they report back is with the waggle dance. We'll talk a bit more about that later, maybe. Yeah, so, so you have this little sort of clump of bees, a rugby ball-sized clump of bees. And eventually they decide we're going to go and move somewhere else. And then that's when they'll all take off 
yeah. when they are in this rugby ball size clump, you can go there with a cardboard box and just tip them into the cardboard box. And I've seen think, oh. videos of this. There's a woman yeah. on TikTok who's made like so many videos of her just collecting all these bees. It's fascinating. And she's like yeah. scooping them up. It's amazing. So when they're, when they're looking for a new home, they're not that interested in Stingy. They've got nothing to protect, really. So you can take swarms wearing no protective kit, no gloves. They'll just walk over you. They won't sting you. I, yeah, I, I tend not to because there are no prizes for being stung and it hurts. Um, so I, I, I get the suit on and everything like that. But it really is. You just go there, you shake the bees into a cardboard box. And if you get the queen in there, they know that the queen is there because of this licking and moving. And Yeah. Um, and, they'll, and, they'll, and they'll stay in the box instead of going back on the tree. That's really cool. Oh. That is really cool. Yeah. So the waggle dance... The I want to say about the amazing. Dance. It's truly amazing. Um, it was um, it was figured out by a fabulous professor called Carl von Frisch, and he got the Nobel Prize for it. So bees are able to communicate to other bees where good stuff is, and that good stuff can be nectar, it can be water, and it can be somewhere to live. In the case of swarming, but we'll talk about nectar. Let's say you've got some bees in a hive, and if you want to tell some other bees where to go what you need is a direction and a distance and if you've got a direction and a distance that will give you a point Mm -hmm. yeah so you need to go out your front door at two o'clock and keep going for a mile and then you'll find this fabulous field of wonderful flowers yeah and what he worked out was that the the way bees waggle dance is um the, the the interesting bit of the waggle is when they go in a straight line um, they they waggle in a straight line, and then when they get to the end of the straight line, they turn round, go back to the, go back to the starting point, and then do the waggle again, um, turn round in a, a sort of big circle, go back to the starting point, and keep doing that. So it's like a sort of figure of eight, but the, but the central bit of the figure of eight isn't a pinched waist; it's a long, straight bit. And what he figured out is that the amount of time they spend waggling corresponds to how far you need to go. So the amount of time in total, or the amount of time in the in one in the in the straight waggle in the line, yeah, Yeah. but not the amount of times that they do it again. Ignore the going. No, ignore the going out. I think there's something to do with the the vigor that they do it with um, corresponds to how good the nectar is, Um, and they'll also they have a bit they they will have a bit of nectar and they can give some to the to the bees who are. That's so exciting because it's amazing that they do it with so much more vigor. Yeah. So the amount. So yeah, the amount of time they spend on this straight line wiggle um, corresponds with how far they need to go. It's not exactly one to one because otherwise they'd be wiggling for minutes and it, it's pretty short um so it, it it corresponds to it but the really cool thing is that the angle to vertical which they do it on so rem- remember you have your your beehive and the combs in that are all vertical hanging down from um, there so your, be- your bees are, are, are sat on the side of these vertical combs the angle to vertical which they do it at corresponds to the angle from the sun which they need to fly at that's so clever. Oh, the other really important thing to mention about all of that is it's done in the dark. Always um, in the dark. The yeah, so it's all done by touch and sensing vibrations because they're inside. They can't bees are so clever. That is so cool. Bees are full of brains. I only had a small gin, so I'm going to have some of the real gin. Oh. 
Oh, that's that's fabulous. Nice. That's so unfair. You can't have somebody on the other side just get, oh, that's real. actually that's what I did the other day on a Zoom call with um, banana bread. So I can't, I can't, you can't talk, can't talk. And the reason I gave you the rhubarb gin, by the way, because was because I sweetened that with some honey. Um, little little bit of honey just to take the edge off it, but not too much. Give me your review. I love the smell of the rhubarb. <laughs> and what I love about it is it's like having rhubarb without having rhubarb that is really bitter. Um, that's lovely. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, now I know what to do with our rhubarb. Yeah, because we always have loads of rhubarb. So back to bees back to and... Bees. So how many different species of honeybees are there in the world? <laughs> You've got to work. You've got to work for this. I'm not doing this for you. There's more than one species. Okay, okay. Um, honeybees. Well, a thousand. Sarah. No. Twenty. Okay. Sorry, eight. Eight species of honeybee now. Yeah, because oh. I was going to say one. <laughs> so I'm just really upping the numbers. <laughs> so the one that we've got is Apis mellifera, um, which is. It, it translates as honey bee. Um, so <laughs> you can see, see why they did that one. Um, but there are various other species of apis which make honey. And are they just different species in different parts of the world? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you've got things like the eastern honeybee, Apis serrana, which occurs in South Asia. Um, you have Apis andriniformis, the black dwarf honeybee. That's such um, a good name. Apis I wonder dorsata. if it's black and fluffy, like an emo bee. <gasps> Apis florea, the red dwarf honeybee. Oh, red and fluffy. <laughs> so, yeah, so there are seven or eight, or it depends on who you talk to, different species of honeybee. So that's honeybees. There are some other bees which do make honey. Um, meliponine bees, they're called, but they don't make so much of it and their nests are rather haphazard. And the reason that honeybees make honey is because they don't hibernate. Hibernating, if you think about what bears do, it's taking their body temperature right down low and basically going dormant. They don't do that. Honeybees are active throughout the entire of the winter and they keep the hive temperature up to about 36 centigrade, even when it's really cold outside. So I've seen some pictures from Finland where it's minus 40 and it's still 36 centigrade inside the hive. Nice. And the, and the way they do that is by eating the honey which they've stored and then shivering. But do they do they stay in the hive then? Because you don't really see them in the winter. That's right. They do stay in the hive. Um, below about eight to ten centigrade, a bee can't fly. It's um, the, the the liquid around its cells goes solid. So um, so that's that's not great. So yeah, they stay in the hive and they keep um, they keep shivering. When it gets slightly warmer in the early spring, they might start going out to have a poo. Um, and also to get a drink. And that's a real problem, because if they go to get a drink and their body temperature is about 14, let's say, and off they fly and they have a nice drink of some water, which has just melted from snow. <gasps> and then they freeze. And then they freeze and they can't fly again. So you get quite a lot of bees dying in spring next to cold water. Oh, the poor things. Yeah, they made it through winter only to fall at the first hurdle. So sorry, the bees. So, um, yeah, that's that is why bees make honey. Oh, sorry, why honeybees make honey. But other bees do hibernate, like bumblebees. And they don't make honey. Wait, and bumblebees they're... and honeybees aren't the same thing? No. no. Bumblebees, the bumblebees, bumblebees are the, the fluffy, fluffy ones. Yeah. 
And the honeybees are not the fluffy ones. They're oh. the really slim ones. Look. Have I been this oblivious the entirety of yeah. my life? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, there we go. Bumblebees are my favourite ones because they're fluffy. Okay, <laughs> but they, they don't, don't give you honey. Well, then honey. what's the point of bumblebees? So the way a bumblebee works... Um, Let's, I'll start in summer. Let's say you've got your nest of bumblebees. You've probably got about 200 bumblebees in one nest. And oh, so they're rough, a bit smaller in numbers. Yeah, roughly similar to honeybee colonies in that you get one queen, a load of workers, and then a load of males. But at the end of the season, they don't have this queen pheromone. They don't have the retinue of bees licking the queen. At the end of the season, in about July or August time, the queen starts producing new queens, and she'll produce, let's say, 10 or 15 of those, and some male bees. Um, and then the new queens will fly out of the nest. The male bees will fly out of the nest. They will mate. They mate on the ground. Honeybees mate while flying, which is really cool. Oh, um, that is really oh, cool. That's we, we adventurous. Can, we can come back to that because there's some more cool stuff about that. So the, then you get a mated queen and in, in about August or September. And she will then go and find a hole in the ground and go and hibernate. She'll take her body temperature down. She'll live off her fat reserves. And she'll come out in February or March time and found a new nest on her own. And we'll then build it up into the workers. Um, She's cool. Up, yeah, up she is cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So how many species of bumblebees have we got in the UK? Yeah, well, we're going to fail on this again. So I'm going to say 15. One. <laughs> Sarah wins again. That's 2-0. Um, 28. Oh, 28? <laughs> Yeah, 28 different species of bumblebees in the UK. And around the world, there's about 280 species of bumblebees. Whoa! So there's about um, 20,000 different species of bees around the world. Wow! 20,000? And almost all of them are solitary bees. Wow! Yeah. If you are um, interested in the bees of Great Britain and Ireland, the book you need to get is a book called Field Guide to the Bees of Great Britain and Ireland. I'm going to get you that for Christmas. It's by a fabulous chap called Stephen Falk, um, and it's beautifully, beautifully illustrated by Richard Lewington. And it, so there are 275 bee species in Britain. What this book has is photographs of all of those bees and also ways of telling them apart from other bees. You cool. could tell what bee we get. I could then sit <laughs> yeah. there like a nerd in the garden with my book looking at your bees. going stay still bee so i can identify you sometimes what you need to do is get them under a microscope and look at the patterns of their wings that's the only way to tell between one bee species and another um, because the veins on a bee's wing the veins on a honeybee's wing if, if you look at one bee and another bee it's not like a fingerprint they're all identical yeah um, the, the the pattern of the veining within bees wings they're all, all the identical they've all got mm. the same wings Mm. Wow. So you can use how those veins fit together as an identifying key for some of those bees. But Stephen Falk's book is just fabulous. It's incredibly comprehensive. It's years of work. And what he doesn't know about bees is not worth knowing at all. He's amazing. And so you research the honeybee specifically. Well, now then. Um, (laughs) I am a plant scientist. Um, I am not a zoologist. I got into plant sciences because I got honeybees because my dad had bees when I was little and I thought, hey, this will be cool. And 
my, my, my original degree was biochemistry and I finished that in 2002. And then I took 15 years out to be a graphic designer, which is of course what you do with a biochemistry degree from Cambridge. Uh, but I missed Screenwriting science. degree. Don't worry, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> but I missed science. Um, I missed being the first person in the world to know something and being able to ask questions and actually go and find out the answers to them. I think it was kind of, I, I was given the push when I became a father. It, it sounds ridiculously soppy, but I, want, I wanted to do something which made the world a slightly better place for my daughter to live in. Um, so I was very clear I wanted to do an applied degree. I wanted to do something which was actually useful. And I wanted to work with bees. And there were two people at the University of Cambridge who worked with bees. And because we lived in Cambridge and my wife had a job and um, our daughter was here, I went to go and talk to them. And one of them was just leaving to go and work at UEA. And the other one is the person who's now supervising me, Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she's professor of plant science and um, runs the botanic garden as well. And I said, I want to do something with bees. And she said, well, we do plants. I said, OK, I want to do something with plants. <laughs> that happens um, to be involving bees that happens to be involving bees and it comes back to pollination so about 70 percent of the crops which we grow by species need animal pollination mm -hmm. quite a lot of them like wheat and oats and sugarcane and corn and things like that they don't need it that's that's wind pollinated but about 70 percent of plants plant species that we grow as crops rely on animal pollination to some extent but it's only to some extent so there are crops like strawberry where if you exclude pollinators entirely you put a big mesh cage over the top you'll still get about 50 percent of the strawberries that you would get if you took the mesh cage off and let bees have at it yeah but then so, you let the blackbirds at them too so you still only get 50 well, percent there, there is that <laughs> so it actually works out at about five to eight percent of the food that we eat is directly a cause of pollinators see i'm really surprised because i thought it was a lot more than five to eight percent of the food we eat it's a surprisingly low amount but when you think about the amount of food that we grow around the world that's actually quite a lot and there are some plants where you absolutely have to have it so some plants will not self-pollinate at all. You can't get pollen from a flower and put it on uh, the female parts of, the, of that flower on the same plant. It just won't work. So you have to have transfer of pollen from one plant to a completely different plant. And you can only do that with insect pollination. And that's where I come in, because the world population is rising. At the moment, it's about seven and a half billion. It's going to be about 10 billion by 2050. Oh, God, there's so many people. It's a lot. We can't really make any more farmland. What we really need um, at current, um, uh, uh, the way we're using farmland at the moment, we need about one and a half Earths mm. to be able to use the farmland at the rate that we use it at the moment to produce all the food for 10 and a half billion people. So we're going to need to get better at farming. We're going to need to be more intensive at farming. Mm -hmm. And that means we're going to need more pollinators. Coffee on its own. How many pollination events do you think we need to produce the amount of coffee that we drink now? So a pollination event is one grain of pollen from one flower going to, um, uh, going to the female parts of love. How many pollination events do we need? I've been so wrong so far. I really need this. <laughs> okay. It's going to be more than one. Yeah, I know that much. I'm going to go first and I am going to pick a number nine. 
So, so this, this, this is to produce all of the coffee in the world. Oh, all of the coffee in the world. More than nine. 22,000. Oh, it's going to be more than that. I feel like it could be more than that. I'm going to go 43,500. I'm so, going to go into the billions. I'm going to up here, so which this, is going to keep You can't okay. keep going. Shush. Yeah. Shush. So, so this is the number of visits which a bee needs to make to a flower to produce all of the coffee in the world. Not just one bee, all of the... All of the bee flower visits, yes. Okay, yeah, a lot so more. It's a, bit, it's a bit more than you've gone for. It's about three trillion. I was still closest. Mm. <laughs> That's just for coffee. If you need three trillion pollination events just for coffee, um, what about everything else? And we've got these crops which we're going to need to get pollinated. We need insect pollination of them. What I'm trying to do is make flowers better at being pollinated. Hmm. So if we can find out what it is that insects specifically like about flowers or what it is that helps them find those flowers quicker, then we can get the same number of bees around the same number or same number of insects around the same number of flowers faster. And that means that we can make better use of the insects that we've got. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking at strawberry. I had to pick a model plant when I started and the strawberry seems like quite a good one because everyone likes strawberries and it uh, one of the key things i wanted to do as well is make uh, is do a research project which was easy to explain to people about why it's important people like strawberries people like bees we need bees for strawberries yeah that's a good start so i have been to a strawberry farmer's field in the middle of king's lynn i i went there every day for two months they had um about four hundred thousand strawberry plants in that field of 21 different varieties, and I photographed about 100 flowers from each of the 21 different varieties. And then I could go back to the lab and have a look at all of those photographs and have a look at the flower shapes. And then I can find the variation which already exists in those flower shapes. And then when I found that, I can use the extremes of that variation and go back and ask the bees, what do you think of it? So, oh, that's so cool. flowers have wiggly edges because of the petals. And there does exist natural variation in the shape of the petals and the length of the petals and so on, which means that the edges are more or less wiggly on some varieties of strawberry flower. So what I've done is I've made some little plastic flowers, both of which have the same area, but one of which is quite wiggly and one of which is not very wiggly at all. And this is a, a classic experimental test. It's two flowers which differ in only one thing. And then the experiment I'm doing puts two flowers at a known distance apart, and I time how long it takes for the bee to fly between one flower to the next. Ah, so this ah. is where you were watching a bee from... This is where I was watching a bee from, for several hours, because we, first of all, I need to train her for a few hours so that I, I, I know that she knows what's going on. Um, and then I, yeah, I time how long it takes her to fly between one flower and the next over this known distance. And because bees have really quite poor eyesight, um, it's, it's all based around search speed. So it, it's, it's based around how, how long did it take her to fly up and go, oh, there's another one over there and fly off to it. So I do that with the smooth, ed- with, with, the, sorry, with the less wiggly edged flowers first. And then I can switch it to the more wiggly edged flowers and see if that makes a difference to the amount of time it takes her to find those flowers. I wish I could tell you the answer, but I'm about halfway through the experiment. And like a very good scientist, I haven't yet processed the data. Um, so we'll, we'll see if that works. But that, this is just one thing. 
Going on to bees having really bad eyesight, mm. do they see like us? Do they see the flower? You know, you're talking about the wiggliness, but do they see the same colours, the same... And how much do they see? I didn't even know that they had bad eyesight. I did know that. Okay. You did know yeah, that? Yeah, I did oh, know that. Yeah. Thank you. Fuck <laughs> so this is another great question. Um, so, um, yeah, if you hold your th- uh, put your thumb up and hold it out at about arm's length... A bee can't really see that. That's, oh. a, that's, that's about the limit of bee vision. Oh, I didn't realise it was that bad. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, so so what, they, what the bee would see is this sort of vaguely white blur somewhere over there, if there's another flower. And then she starts getting closer to it and it starts resolving into, into more of a white blob. Um, the way that bees perceive images is again slightly different for us it, it there's all sorts of stuff to do with things moving over their different um uh, the different facets of their eyes as opposed to us where we just look at something and see it um so there's there's stuff to do with it moving past their retinas as well you may have heard of nectar guides you've probably seen them on things like foxgloves where you've got those little spots on the um uh on the, oh, the, the, guides. The yes. right. i was like Yeah, Okay. my brain went somewhere else. That's there for close-up work. When the bee has actually landed on the flower, that's the only time she's able to see those because further away, it would just be a blurter and they will guide the bee when she is on the flower to where the nectar is within the flower. So there's this far away bit, which is the the flower presenting itself, and then there's the close-up work as well. Um, So the work I'm doing is, is trying to see what it is which helps the bees with this further distance work mm. because if we can if we can get them to find flowers faster if we can cut down the amount of time they spend looking then we can get them around more flowers faster okay so they've got really bad eyesight so but a bee comes along he does a waggle mm-hmm. dance to say there's really good yummy stuff mm-hmm. this distance this direction i hate that every time you think you're asking a dumb question you're about to ask a really good question well, how do they see that direction if we're guided by the sun and that's distance that they can't see past the end of their arm? Not that they have an arm and a thumb up. So how? how? So within the hive, they can detect the orientation from vertical by touch. They don't see that because it's in the dark. Okay. Okay. And detecting the angle from the sun... So this this is where it does start to get more interesting. How many eyes does a bee have? <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh, no! no. Okay. Questions. Um, Numbers. Pick a number. Fifteen. <laughs> Not that many, surely. Four. Points to Sarah for going for an odd number. Yes. But. Oh. You're wrong. It's five. So, so bees have the two nice big compound eyes, which you see on the sides. Big one, yes. And they're, yeah. and, and they're the eyes which they use for seeing. But they've also got three eyes on the top of their head called ocelli. And they are used to detect light and dark and possibly polarised light as well. Okay. Oh. And it's, they don't just look at the sun and go, okay, it's this angle from it from there. Because of physics there's a plane of polarised light from the sun, which is at the at 90 degrees from where the sun is. So if the sun is at the North Pole, this plane of polarised light is around the equator. 
um, because yeah, because of physics and the atmosphere and sunlight and stuff, which I don't even pretend to understand. So it's um, so they can they can detect that, and there've been all sorts of experiments um, manipulating the polarized light that bees can see. It's why they can also do it in the um, uh, it's why they can do it in cloudy weather. Um, because you can still see that plane of polarized light even when it's cloudy. Clever. Um, clever. I'm pretty sure they, I think they can also adjust for time as well. Um, Because obviously if you do a waggle dance at one o'clock and then at three o'clock you go out hunting, um, your plane of polarized light will have moved because the sun has moved. Um, So I think they can adjust for time on that. I definitely know that bees do have a sense of time because there was a wonderful experiment where they took a beehive from New York and put it on Concord and um, took it out in Paris. And then in the middle of the night, all the bees went, yeah, oh, hang on a second. It's still dark. What's going on? Um, So they got jet lagged. So that's quite fun. Oh, my God. That's so cool, though. (laughs) Oh, my God. What if they all weren't in the hive? Well, they were. Hey, Trevor. Where is Trevor? So my question that is not scientific, but I I do need to ask now is, do you name the bees that you're looking at? Because you spent a lot of hours with those bees. I do spend a lot of hours with those bees. Um, yeah, I, it, it is no exaggeration where I, I have sometimes watched them from eight in the morning until seven at night. And it's usually only one or two bees. Um, I don't name them because I've run out of names. I did think about it. Some people name their queens, um, but um, no, I, I don't name them, but I cannot tell bees apart yet. I'm, I'm, not that, I'm not that good. So that, So what I need to do is I catch my bumblebee in a little plastic pot, and then we have a, a special marking cage, which is a, a plastic tube with a mesh on the end of it. And I put my bee in that, and then I pin her to the mesh with a um, uh, with a foam plunger. So she's pressed up against the mesh oh. uh, with with her with her back to the top of it. Um, and then I shave her with a razor blade oh. um, because it's quite difficult to make things stick to their fur. Stick to- <laughs> and then I use a bit of super glue to glue a, a two millimeter plastic disc with a number on it. So all of my bees have numbers. They have five different colors and all have numbers. So today, I for bet example, they really want a color as well. And you go and give them the color they don't want. Then they're embarrassed in front of all their bee friends because they're like, I didn't get the cool color. But that they, happens. They, <laughs> um, so so that, is, that is how I tell them apart. And you get some really good bees and you get some really terrible bees. Um, I've, I've had bees before where halfway through the experiment, she went and sat on the wall for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> before deciding to go back home and carry on and there's nothing you can do that you can't you can't go away because if she carries on then you need to carry on the experiment you can't hurry her up because it's what she wants to do mm-hmm. just sit there and wait really and, <laughs> and so you just you just watch and and of course yeah they i mean everyone says don't work with children and animals um and yet <laughs> research is yeah. not necessarily with children uh, but no, you know, using all the patience you have for that day on the bee, and then going home and going, oh, now I've got to be a dad and have patience again. Yeah, I'm, I'm not very, I'm not very good on the patience of being a dad. Um, it's it's much easier to look after a bee. If you don't like what the bee is doing, you can freeze it and start on another bee. But <laughs> don't really do that with children. <laughs> Thank you.
we didn't talk about mating. Oh yeah, um, they in midair. Honeybee mating in midair. When the bees have left in a swarm, they'll usually leave behind five or six queen cells with proto queens inside them. Because if one goes wrong, then the rest of the hive is stuffed. Tough. So they leave behind several of them. When one, when one of those queens is ready to come out, she will start tooting. She'll make tooting. a noise by rubbing her wings together. Yeah, it's, it's called tooting. She'll rub her wings together. And I've heard it before. I was absolutely amazed to actually hear it. Took a frame out of the hive and there was a queen cell in it. And it was re- nearly ready to come out. And she was going... By rubbing her wings together. So a bit like a cricket um, when they rub their legs together. That's, yeah, that's, the honeybees yeah. rub their wings. And that lets the other queens know that there is a queen ready to come out. So they'll all do this. What, I love the sort of announcing happen? her arrival. Yeah. Da, 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 here I come. So you can only have one queen bee in a beehive, in a honey beehive. So what will happen is either the queen will come out and then she will disappear with the bees which have le- since learnt to fly. So that's a secondary swarm. Or she will go and find the other queen cells and either wait for the queens to come out of them and fight them and fight them to the death and sting them to death. What? Or she will, um, she, she will bite the queen cell before the queen has come out Withdraw the queen from it and queen. try and kill it that That's way. Yeah. 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 So you end up with um, with a, a honey beehive with an unmated queen in it, and then she sits around for five or six days, getting the hang of things, and then off she goes on what's called her nuptial flight. Um, and remember that she emits pheromones. Yeah. She gets chased. Yes, by twenty, thirty, forty drones in a sort of i think it's called a comet that one and that's that is where the queen is at the front and the drones must and the be drones nice will... to feel that wanted well so the drones will fly up to her they'll grab her and they will mate with her oh no and, that doesn't sound nice and the way that honeybee mating works is that the male bees will leave their penis in her body oh oh it comes out with an audible pop oh um, <laughs> Do they survive that? No, they don't survive. No, that that is the end of their life. Oh, they went um, out with a pop? They did go, yes, went out with a pop. And at that point, the queen... So at that point, they've pumped some sperm into her. Um, the queen then fishes out their penis with her back legs, and the whole thing happens again 20 or 30 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the queen will then store this sperm in her spermathica. Um, her spermathica? Yes. <laughs> It's it's basically a bag which contain it, which contains layers of each drone sperm. She then goes back to the hive, and that unless the hive swarms, that's the only time she goes out. She has then stored enough sperm to lay fertilized eggs for the rest of her life, which is about she just dips into the reserves. Yeah, it's about three or four years, and she can lay in and in summer she lays two thousand eggs a day. Wow, blimey! So we were talking about. Queens and workers and drones. And a worker bee or a queen bee, so a female bee, is the result of a fertilised egg. Mm-hmm. And a drone bee is what develops out of an unfertilised egg. It's proper, vir- it's proper virgin birth. Drone bees do not have fathers. Wow. wow. Well, there we are. So what, what can people do to, to help? That, that is always a, a useful thing to know. 
and it tends to come down if you've got a garden leave it untidy grow some wild flowers mm-hmm. the untidiness compost heaps are great nesting places for bumblebees and solitary bees leave some piles of leaves leave some dead trees and things like that. dead trees lying around this is not everyone has a garden which you can have a dead tree <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. some wildflowers in your garden. Maybe, we, maybe we a have... stick. Maybe a <laughs> we... stick or two if you don't have the odd spare dead tree. Yes, we have made a bumblebee sanctuary on the lower quarter of our estate. <laughs> um, and if you find a bumblebee nest, great, you've got a bumblebee nest. Don't try and move it. You can't move them. It'll die out in about August time anyway. In the meantime, just watch your bumblebees. They're really fun to watch. With the book and then work out which ones you've got. With the book. And sometimes, sometimes I go to work feeling really stressed and then I watch a bee for a day and you can't really be stressed when you're watching a bee because they're really cute. I feel um, really hopeful I'm <laughs> And I think on that, on that amazing, note, happy... That yeah. is the perfect end um, to our podcast. And thank you so much for talking to yes. us, Hamish. We've learned so much um, yeah. about bees that mm-hmm. we didn't know. And so I had a really good time learning mind. it. Really good time learning it. Yeah. And such good gin. Gin. Very good I can't gin. even say gin. Gin, gin, gin. The lasting thing then is the fact that you've got an arena that your bees yeah. go into. And now I'm on to another whole film. <laughs> um, it's not Gladiator. It's, a, it's, it's just a... It's just a I went box, Hunger Games. Green. <laughs> Hunger Games with bees. <laughs> So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your gin with us. You're welcome. That was lots of fun. Lovely to talk to you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you. Okay, so. Yes. What's the deal about bees? There's so much about bees. Learned. so much okay but we've got we've got to unpack this okay okay so firstly what do i we know? learned that there are so many more types of bees than i ever realized yeah way more and, and that they're not all fluffy and not just a honeybee no no but different honeybees along yeah. across the world across the world along the run round round the world around the world around the world and I learned that the queen bee does not do half the stuff I thought she did, but she does some other really cool stuff. And I learned that honeybees have sex in mid-air. Well, and that's the thing that I found that blew my mind. It's the fact that you're born as a queen bee. Yep. Born into you the role. then do a funny noise. Announce your arrival. You announce your arrival, yep. But then you basically, you fly off. Mm-hmm. You then get followed, impregnated, impregnated numerous times out of you. Yep, that come and up with a pot. Having done that flight, you reserve all the spunk. You go back inside, and you never come out again. No, but instead you lay and fertilize mm-hmm. eggs. Only some of them, depending on what eggs you. Yep. Not want what eggs the whole the what the collective wants. Has, but it's I just, an idealistic yeah. world. And I find that really interesting that they that's that's the queen's life. Yeah. Then you've got the drain's life, which is the sex And they're basically born to do that flight. Yeah. Lose their dick. Yeah. Die. Die. That's it. Yeah. And then you've got the worker bees mm-hmm. that do pretty much everything everything else. yes it's very much a matriarchy. Get to do a waggle dance i love the waggle dance 
I'm doing I'm the really Wangle Dance. Yeah, you now. need to stop doing the Wangle Dance. I'm trying to ignore it. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll keep up to date with Hamish. Yeah. And find out whether the wiggly shapes at the round whether they the matter, flower, whether they matter, and whether he decides to name his bees. Because I'm happy to give him some names that he could use. We just have to keep feeding him names, though, because that's yeah. the problem. Is you get through. Them. I've got his number. I could start just texting him. <laughs> just random. I mean, names is he considered Irish names? Because I'm always really upset that I can't find my name anywhere. I would like there to be lots of different. You know, a Siobhan. Have a Siobhan. Okay. Let's not now go through the list of possible <laughs> names. What I have also learned okay. is that Hamish goes to work and, and he has an arena yes. that he puts his bees uh-huh. into, yep. but first he puts them into a little tube, squishes them up with a plunger, I don't like shaves them about and slaps an umbra on That them. makes me worry about bees. I know it probably doesn't hurt them. But I st- if I was a bee, I don't think I would like it. <laughs> is all I'm saying. I think I might I like just, flying around trying to find the pretty petals, but I don't think I'd like being shaved. Uh, do you think that's why sometimes the bee might go and sit? Yeah, and, I think it's saying play. I didn't want to be shaved, so I'm not going to do stuff for you. I didn't want that number. Yeah. I wanted that to be color. called Siobhan. There you go. Mm. Or any other name, <laughs> as long as it's Irish. <laughs> Vanula. I think we learned a lot. I think we did. Bees are cool. Bees are cool. It's official. Awesome. We're gonna. Sarah, shall I tell them where they can find us? I think you ought to, because you're the young person, so you know where we can be found. It's true. You can find us on Twitter at Topic Gin. And the same on Instagram. Yeah. And that's all wrong, because Facebook's dead in the water, TikTok, neither of us are young enough for... And I forget what other ones there are. We've got a website. We do have a website. We have ginandtopic.com. Photos by Matthew Richard. Yeah. <laughs>